It can clearly be said that tyranny suppresses and eliminates freedom, but on the other hand, tyranny is only possible where freedom has been domesticated and has evaporated into vacuous concepts. Welcome back to another Mind Matters show. Uh, today we want to talk about uh, Ernst Jünger and uh, his book uh, Forest Passage, which is uh, kind of a classic and uh, has kind of be, uh, caught some attention again and gained some traction, I suppose, uh, these days, and we will probably see why. Uh, yeah, to give like a very short background on Ernst Jünger, um, he's like a a fascinating guy with a fascinating life. Um, he was born uh, in the late 19th century in 1895, I think, um, uh, fought uh, in World War I, uh, was a highly decorated soldier. Uh, then he published, after the war, um, he published his uh, book, uh, Storms of Steel, I think is the English title. Um, it's uh, his war memoir, basically, which uh, made him famous. Um, and he continued to publish uh, uh, lots of essays, books, uh, until his uh, his uh, death in 1996, I think he was, uh, or was 98. seven. 98 even, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he was, I think, 102 years old when he died. Um, and uh, yeah, just to... Uh, a very brief sketch in in the twenties. He um, he was kind of like mingling with uh, like the the nationalist circles, um, this whole intellectual scene um, there, uh, which uh, uh, he was also later criticized for by by leftists uh, basically or by the by left intellectuals uh, post war. Um, but uh, he was uh, not really. Uh, associated with the Nazis um, or the proto-Nazis even at the time. So there were like different, let's say, like uh, movements critical of democracy, um, different kind of nationalist flavors and, and discourse. And that was all basically like a, a big intellectual scene in, in Berlin. Um, and, uh, and the communists too, you know, were kind of like in that sphere at the time and they were like all kind of anti-democratic. So they all basically hated the Weimar Republic <laughs> or many did, you know, um, and because uh, it was pretty bad at the time, right? I mean, it's not, not really a surprise uh, that people, uh, you know, had all kinds of um, ideas and stuff. Uh, in any event, he then... Um, the Nazis tried to kind of like uh, get him on their side when they took power because he was a war hero. And um, uh, he wrote that famous book about his experience in World War I. Um, uh, so they kind of tried to seduce him, let's say, but he he refused. He was never like really um, associated with the Nazis and later um, got uh, stationed in Paris as a soldier again during World War II. Uh, where he um, mingled with all the intellectual elite in Paris at the time and uh, continued writing and uh, eventually was uh, got uh, involved with the Stauffenberg plot, so the, the plot to kill Hitler, um, basically. And uh, But he was only very tangentially involved. And there are like all kinds of stories. I, I encourage everybody to check out his Wikipedia entry 
it's just even like this Wikipedia and really reads like a like a crazy novel or something. I mean, this this guy's life is just uh, astonishing, really. And uh, yeah, and so in after the war, uh, he um, uh, was forbidden to publish by the British uh, authorities um, because he refused the denazification program. So he basically refused to co cooperate with. Uh, you know, these kinds of questionnaires, you know, that uh, so, sought to establish like, you know, purity um, and non-affiliation with the Nazis. And he, you know, he, he was he was always kind of a contrarian. Uh, we, we, we'll get to that too in, in his book. It's kind of interesting that he refused it. So he couldn't publish for like, as long as the occupation um, was going on. And then I think in 1951, uh, Forrest, passage uh, was published the book that we'll talk about today so right after the uh yeah the german Fed, uh, german federal republic was um founded uh then he could publish again and uh, yeah so that uh, uh so just to to give an idea of the time and i find it also very interesting because um uh in this this book um we will see that he kind of like um, uh, describes like a life or a possible life of resistance and uh, and what uh, a special form of resistance, let's say. Uh, and uh, you could say that you know he had uh, maybe the communist and and uh, Nazi uh, regimes in mind. Uh, so at some points in the book, uh, uh, that's pretty obvious. But then again. He he didn't write write it specifically like you know with a with a for a specific type of government let's say, um, and it's interesting that he wrote that right after like the German Federal Republic was established right the 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 great democracy and stuff and uh, but I thought you know when when you read that book it becomes clear that he saw some of the those totalitarian impulses uh there too right so it's it's pretty uh ubiquitous uh th that kind of um dynamic that he he's describing uh which also fits with his like you cannot really pin him down if you look at his writing at, at his life yes he was like kind of a conservative um he was at some points had like nationalist ideas uh, in his life so he certainly wasn't a, a leftist but uh, he, you cannot really pin him down ideologically very hard. I mean, uh, later he was like kind of like experimenting with LSD and stuff, and uh, he was you know, hated by the conservatives for that. You know, he was never really uh, religious, although he clearly um, had a very like non-materialist and. Uh, yeah, very metaphysical uh, view, let's say, of the world. Um, so, yeah, it's a, just a fascinating character, and uh, yeah, and as a German, um, can say he's he's had a big influence. Uh, he was very well regarded for a long time, but he also was hated by many people. So there's a kind of complexity there, and so I might just open the floor. Um, uh, I would be interesting interested guys what what did you get out of that uh german classic well do you want to go along uh, look ahead well 
we haven't we still haven't finished it you read the book and recommended it to us so we are still making our way through it um i'm about a third of the way through it's pretty short it's only around 100 pages in uh in english and <clears throat> it took me it took me a few pages to get into his his style because it's uh i don't know how to describe it but um basically it took me a while to understand what he was actually talking about and then because i did i purposefully didn't read the introduction i just went straight into it i'll read the introduction afterwards so i, I kind of just plunged in and i'm like what what is he talking about and so there's every and part of that might be the the german part of it might be the translation where there's some sentences where i'm just like i'm not quite sure what he meant by that but it all kind of despite that it all kind of comes together and and ends up making sense and there are it's it's a very interesting book i'd say it's unlike you know it's it's unlike probably anything else that i'd read before but some of the subject matter is the same it's an interesting uh, meditation on uh on tyranny and freedom um maybe to to help guide the trans the or the conversation not the translation i'll read how the book ends which is a summary the the book itself is divided into 34 kind of small sections or chapters they might be like a page long or four or five pages long and then at the end of the book i noticed this by skipping ahead he he ends it with a summary where he kind of summarizes each section in a sentence or half a sentence and basically writes a long paragraph summing up the whole book the whole essay or or uh what's another word manuscript monograph maybe monograph <laughs> i'm not sure but this is how he summarizes it <clears throat> this will give a give some idea of the overall um the overall points that he's trying to make and then we can get into some details because each of these small sentences contains a whole lot of cool stuff so he writes the questions put to us are simplified and made more incisive they drive us into an either-or decision, as revealed in elections. The freedom to say no is systematically excluded. This is intended to demonstrate the superiority of the questioner, and it turns a nay into a venture that only one in a hundred will dare. The arena for this venture is strategically ill-chosen. This is no objection to its ethical significance. The forest passage is freedom's new answer. Free, free men are powerful, even in tiny minorities. Our present epoch is poor in great men, but it brings figures to the light. The danger leads to the formation of small elites. The figures of the worker and the unknown soldier are joined by a third, the forest rebel. Fear can be conquered by the individual once he realizes his power. The forest passage, as free action in the face of catastrophe, is independent of the foreground political technicalities and their groupings. It does not contradict the development, but brings freedom to it through the decisions of the individual. In the forest passage, there is a meeting of man with himself in his undivided and indestructible substance. This meeting banishes the fear of death. Even the churches can only lend a hand here, since man stands alone in his choices. The theologian may be able to make his situation clear to him, but cannot deliver him from it. The forest rebel crosses the null meridian under his own power. In the questions of healthcare, law, and arms, 
he takes his own sovereign decisions. Morally, too, he does not act according to any doctrine and reserves the right to judge the law for himself. He takes no part in the cult of crime. He decides what to consider property and how he will defend it. He is aware of the inviolable, inviolable depths from which the word rises up constantly to constantly fulfill the world. World, sorry. Herein lies the task of being here and now. So he starts f with this discussion of elections and like the questionnaire and how elections used to be, if I'm remembering correctly, he characterizes elections in their like free states as an expression of the will. And that's how people common commonly think of them. They, you know, they want to make a decision and they, they vote and they choose someone to, you know, act on their behalf or something like that. And whatever the problems might be, even with that conception in a tyranny, and he's, it's, it seems here, uh, it seems to me that here he's pretty much um, explicitly almost referring to um, like Stalinism or maybe even, maybe even Germany under fascism. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And he describes the elections. And of course, you, you know, we all know the, the quotation ascribed to Stalin that it's not who, who, uh, how is it? It's not, it's who counts the votes that matter. It's not something, it's who counts the votes that matter. Mm -hmm. um, but Junger makes this, makes the point that, so in an election, let's say, where you get a 98% yes for, let's say, Stalin or some dictator or whatever, um, he's saying, one of the, just one of the side points that he makes is that it's not that, uh, you know, it's not that they have to fudge the results. It's like, you can pretty much you can pretty much believe that the, that vote was probably pretty close. You know, you can pr even as a even for the sake of argument, um, he's saying we can accept that ninety eight percent of the people would vote yes, um, because this isn't an election. He calls it a questionnaire. That's one of the things that first that first confused me. I'm like, well, what does he mean by a questionnaire? Like, um, like I, I just didn't understand what he meant by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's probably the translation thing, okay. but. Uh, yeah, he's like it's like like putting someone to the question, right? You no know, kind of sense, right? And that's what came out. That's what came out after you know in like in like five or ten pages. I'm like, okay, that that's more like it. It's like it's be, it's being put to the question. So there's mm -hmm. and he it, he kind of draws that out as he's as he's writing. You get the kind of connotations that he's putting into it. That it's not just a question. It's a question that's put to you. And there are expectations for how you'll answer. An interrogation. It's an interrogation, exactly. And exactly. And yeah, just to to uh, um, uh, yeah uh, say that he actually when he develops that argument, right, when leading up to the his discussion of uh, of elections and all that, um, he uh, says basically that you know that the the powers that be they 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 give you this question. Um, and just independently even of like uh, elections or something not just the question and you're you're and they're not interested in truth they're not interested uh in your solution they're just interest you know they're interested in your answer basically affirming the thing right and and that's pretty much like you know even apart from the election thing right what what we can see uh, everywhere with ideologies and and stuff you know when when somebody uh, just uh expects an answer basically that that's the mm -hmm. point i think 
Mm -hmm. And uh, tied into something you just said there, it's um, the way the question is phrased, this is how he puts it. Um, he basically calls them like plebiscites or referenda. And they're phrased in terms, uh, he says, now on top of that, um, the statement required of him is clothed in highly respectable formulations. He's called on to participate in a vote for freedom, or perhaps a peace referendum. But who does not love peace and freedom? Only a monster. A nay vote already receives a criminal character here, and the bad voter resembles a criminal slinking up to the scene of a crime. So he says, basically saying when there's when there's this election, you know, where where the 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 rule the powers that be receive you know ninety eight percent vote of confidence. It's um it's pretty much well who who will who will argue against a vote for liberation or peace or stability, and so he's he's basically saying the vote the 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 va the majority in this case the majority vote yes is meaningless. It doesn't matter if it doesn't even matter if there's a majority that agrees that there there's something different going on here. This isn't a this isn't a, an election. This isn't an express an expression of people's will either individually or collectively. This is being put to the question, and there are all kinds of other forces and things going on to to, to make this situation what it is. And one of the one of the important points and how this relates to the forest passage is he's talking about this two percent, the two percent that vote nay, the two percent that say no. And in that little summary, it it uh, it came out. He basically says this isn't the this isn't the best course of action. In fact, it's it's strategically or tactically ill informed. But still, it's a good it's it's a, it's still a good sign of something. But you know, if the people voting nay understood what was really going on, maybe they wouldn't even vote nay because this is he he points out that in this type of system, in this totalitarian system, the the ruling powers would not want a hundred percent of the vote. In fact, he said if they were to receive a hundred percent, they would then fudge the numbers to receive ninety nine or ninety eight percent because they need that little sign that things aren't quite perfect. Because if everything was perfect, then there would be no need for police. There would be no, no need for, it, it would imply that everything was perfect. And then the the the, the contradiction that, that is apparent in the, the way the society is structured would just be, you know, would blow everything up because, because everything is obviously not perfect if you need so many secret police officers, for instance. It also preserves the illusion of a democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, it it creates the uh, perception that see people disagree with us, and we yeah. allow it because yeah. this is a democracy. And it's only two percent. It's like, but at the same time, those two percent can be dangerous. So we have to watch mm -hmm. out for them. And those are the evil people that we that are always there, and we've always got to be vigilant because that two percent, uh, you know, gonna have to capture and torture them and throw them it's, in it, concentration camps. It's interesting. I mean, that same dynamic, uh, what you're thinking, you know, when you when you said that, um, like in the US, like it used to be like, you know, the Klansmen, you know, like all the, the neo-Nazis who, who like are like a ridiculously small minority, right? And nobody really cares, but they were always held, held up, you know, like as the evil, you know, and that's why we need all that, uh, you know, all, all that stuff and all that uh, internal, like, police and uh, spies and whatever so yeah mm -hmm. yeah there's that same dynamic and but now it's shifted to the point where it's all republicans who are neo-nazi yeah, clans, yeah, clansmen yeah, right <laughs> so then presumably if things were to follow their course and you know the united states becomes what it essentially is now is like a, a one-party state 
then then the votes will go up to like 98% and then it'll just be those 2% who are the the republicans like ah those republicans that that 2% republicans it's like i mean we're a democracy we got to let them say what they want but but they're always there and then uh yeah it'll be it'll be something like that well i have to say luke um you know I, there were moments uh i got about halfway through the book myself and uh, there were a number of times I was reading it and thinking, God, this guy just absolutely nails it uh, in his deep understanding of what totalitarianism is. And uh, it, it gave me the feeling like the book could have been written yesterday. It, it could have been, uh, you know, some contemporary uh, work of analysis on, on exactly what we're seeing today. And I think that speaks to a few things. And that is how um, universal or, or cyclical uh, and perennial uh, all of these uh, psychological um, structures uh, uh, are and how they exist through time, through the generations, through, you know, in, in, you know, in Germany and Western Europe uh, 70 years ago and, and in the West and the U.S. today. And uh, I really, I felt like um, it reminded me quite a bit of uh, Rod Dreher's Live Not By Lies, which is a book I, you know, I love and, and we um, repeatedly come back to, uh, which described how Eastern Europeans mainly dealt with the uh, communist totalitarian uh, political structure of what was then the USSR and how they preserved the modicum of, of independence and uh, freedom to practice religion where there was all of this oppression. But this book, The Forest Passage, seems to be a, um, first of all, I think it, it's a great complement to that book because it what it does is it, it gives uh, a, a kind of philosophical um, explanation of what these people were doing uh, as Rod Dreher uh, examined in that book. And it, it just, it goes through all of the different ways in which um, a person can come to think about their own independence, uh, a middle way, he calls it, um, that is not not quite a reaction, but a, a response to um, the oppression and, and why we want to think on oppression. We want to meet it head on in a sense, um, albeit in a way that maybe isn't always obvious to the people who are doing the oppressing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to reading the second half, because as you said, just before we, I think just before we started the show, it, it gets even better. Uh, and there were a couple of other things about it. Um, he, he talks about in much the same way that I think Peterson does the importance of, uh, mythology and story and, uh, symbolism and poets as, as the, the, the strength or the, the material um, from which we can draw the lessons of dealing with the ogre, the totalitarian monster. Um, and that all of this material is 
it's readily available should we choose to access it um, and and find this you know this way to a part of ourselves uh, that also draws upon God and and higher levels of being uh, that can protect us that can uh, make us strong uh, in the face of of all kinds of things that we're seeing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing where the second half goes because uh, he he gets into the minutia of all of these kinds of attitudes and and um, and ways that we perceive things that that can be um, changed and and altered for the better. One of the things that uh, well, this relates to one of the things you said in there, Ilan, um, that opens up the question for, well, for me, the, the next two thirds of the book, but I assume the, the second half as well. In section 13, he writes, this is the section on fear. He writes, might it be possible to lessen the fear even as the automatism progresses or as can be foreseen approaches perfection? Would it not be possible to both remain on the ship, that is like the Titanic heading for the iceberg, and retain one's autonomy of decision? That is not only to preserve, but even to strengthen the roots that are still fixed in the primal ground. This is the real question of our existence. So he's basically saying that even, even in this state of, of automatism and, uh, and tyranny, is it not possible to actually um, refine oneself in that process to actually like not only escape the fear, but, um, but to, to approach like a different kind of per perfection. And that will be like the forest passage. It's not the, it's not the kind of ineffectual nay vote. He even says, um, I, I didn't find it, but on the, on the subject of the nay vote, he's bas he basically says that <clears throat> like someone who takes the forest passage might even be able to um, to vote yay, to vote yes, like with a clear conscience, because, because the, even as a joke, um, or even as a statement in itself, just to point out the absurdity of the problem uh, of the situation. And he, so when he's taught back to the subject of the election, he's saying, um, that, you know, everything's, everything's different. This is a totally new relation of power, as he says. So the old rules don't even apply anymore. It's not like, like it is, it is courageous to vote nay because there are all sorts of dangers associated with it. It's just not very effective. He said, you can vote yes and still make an effective protest, even just by, he, he gives a progression of, of like graffiti. He says, um, even writing on a bridge, I voted no, when you voted yes, is a much bigger protest because... Um, because everyone can see it and everyone and all the people who agree can say, ah, you know, I know what that means. And he says, you don't even need to make it a sentence. You can just write no. And everyone will know what that means. Just writing no. Everyone will be like, okay, yeah, I know what that means. And he says, or, you know, you can even just write a letter. You can write the letter R and everyone will know what that means because it'll be, it'll mean like rebel, um, you know, revolt, blah, 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 all these R words. And even that small symbolic gesture will be many times more effective than voting nay, because by voting nay, you are just giving them what they want because they want that 2%. They want that 2%, like for all the reasons we said, to show that it's a real democracy, um, to, to justify the police presence, to justify their, um, 
the, the whole system that to justify the fear to be able to to demonize whoever the you know the the scapegoat of the minute will be um there are other ways other ways to uh to be effective and i presume that he'll get into more of that in the in the second half and that's where he like some of the things that he's talking about with that, like, you know, he gave the specific example of, uh, you know, writing resist or the letter R on a bridge. Uh, and that has, you know, very specific, you know, time oriented, like markers mm -hmm. to it, you know, mm -hmm. like in order to have a bridge, you have to be in a society that has bridges um, and that kind of a thing. But his point is timeless. And then a lot of what he writes about is timeless. And it's all geared towards, and that's why I think, Alon, what you were saying about how, you know, this this feels like it could have been written yesterday is, be, is because of that fact that he was able to touch upon the essence of what's going on. And and he even, he says as much in, in the book uh, at several points where, um, you know, let's not get caught up in the details of the time, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever, whatever it is, you know, whatever mask that tyranny wears will change over time, mm -hmm. over epochs. You know, what was true of tyranny in ancient Rome, that mask, you know, has a different face now than it did then. But the tyranny remains the same. Like the and and this is another thing that's interesting about how he both wasn't religious and yet used religious themes uh, uh, ties in with this because it's, you know, he, I don't remember if he uses the word demonic, but he does, he, does he? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he, so he even uses religious language to describe the face of, but that, that to describe the thing that lies behind the mask uh, of tyranny in our time, you know, he's, pulling the the mask down to show you the real face of of what it is that we're up against and it is this archetypal you know religious you know these are the only kind of frameworks in which it really exists fundamentally is outside of the specific situation and yet is embedded within it and so i was i was really just uh struck by his ability to to see past the culture wars of his time uh, much like a lot of people in our time get caught up in the cultural world, cultural wars of the day and miss the the subtlety and the nuance of what's really going on, which is this this uh, the seeking of control through connivances and and is and he seeks to I guess teach people the way like the the middle way, a third way. Uh, in in developing one's own conscience and ability to resist and withstand and um, maybe even a fourth way, maybe even a fourth <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. No, I, th there's certainly like parallels with uh, you know good Gurdjieff's uh, some of Gurdjieff's uh, ideas, and uh, he he even mentions him. I think uh, uh, in a funny way um, in in the book, uh, he says like this really strange kind of uh, I don't know. Like it was funny, funny formulation. Uh, but he, I, he must have been 
uh, in Paris around the same time, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so maybe they even had, I mean, he sure knew of him, you know, so I'm not sure whether they had more contact. But, uh, yeah, no, um, it's it's really about, I think, inner transformation. That's what what he's after, right? And, and forest rebel, the word in German is actually a forest walker. So it sounds a little less... Um, you know, like a band of uh, armed rebels in the forest. So it's, it's more like, like a, Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, it, it's more like a metaphor, right? Um, but uh, yeah, and, and he said also says that freedom, it, it kind of, at some point, it always, words like freedom uh, or like democracy, things like that, they always become like stale at some point and just a, sh you know, a shield, like a, a slogan. And, uh, but that's only because people have, forgotten about their meaning and and uh and he kind of saw that these phases of tyranny and and are, are actually a great teacher so to, so that people or at least the minority who's able to do it um can can get in touch you know with their with their inner freedoms and and can uh be transformed so to say and, and become a force of renewal and, uh, yeah. and to this well, yeah. hold that point. I just want to read a really quick quotation on that point. He says, fundamentally, freedom and tyranny cannot be considered in isolation, although we observe them succeeding each other in time. It can clearly be said that tyranny suppresses and eliminates freedom. But on the other hand, tyranny is only possible where freedom has been domesticated and has evaporated into vacuous concepts. Yeah, that was exactly so was what I had in, in mind, the, the, this passage. Yeah. Uh, and just to, to, to the um discussion about like the no uh, on the bridge and and things uh i i found it interesting that he uh he basically doesn't give like a blueprint uh how how to become a rebel right or how you to resist tyranny because he knows that that just doesn't work right so it's more like a, this inner transformation thing and and everything like the examples he gives they are like examples you know to to illustrate mm -hmm. more or less but the the dynamics uh are interesting because that uh, he makes the point, for example, that um, you you might even be handing the regime basically a list of dissidents, right? If you let's say you you vote no, or there are other contexts where you know if you get organized or do some action or some, it's in some situations you might actually be helping the regime, and uh, uh, so it's it's really not so clear cut and. Uh, I was reminded, I mean, that that's maybe part of the reason why this book um, uh, uh, on Jünger in general has become popular again, so to speak. I mean, the, the whole COVID thing was just the perfect um, example of how this kind of stuff is still so relevant. Um, and and we all had these decisions to to face, right? I mean, you could, some people just stirred up the pot so to say right made made a big scene uh and and maybe some got even in trouble right with the authorities because of their like refusing to wear masks and whatever like making a point and so but sometimes that just got them into trouble with the authorities right and and maybe uh, a nice graffiti on a bridge would have been more effective so it's and uh, <laughs> 
we saw that here in France a lot. There were like really good graffitis at very prominent uh, places. <laughs> <laughs> so the French, uh, if you don't want to know something about protests, you know, that's that's the country to be. Uh, no, but well, uh, yeah, and and that's just uh, I th I thought as you said, Ilan. Um, this book is it's just so relevant in a sense and and so timeless. And uh, I think part of the reason might also be that um, because of Jünger's fascinating life and that he wasn't was never like um, part of some ideology or political movement uh, really. Uh, and he he because a lot of like intellectual life, you know, in, in Germany after after the war and stuff, it kind of switched over to this. Kind of okay now we have the, the great democracy or whatever and you know that's our yay you know like ideology and and he always kept like out of everything in a sense uh and and was uh was just a very good observer and uh, i think that's part of the reason why he, he was able to suss out these these deeper dynamics yeah. on the topic of observation uh so he he lived through the period of Nazi Germany, where the kind of high level of technocracy was brought to its ultimate um, kind of higher limit for the time, I think. Uh, there are books, uh, IBM and the Holocaust, about how technology was being implemented in wholly new ways to uh, by the Nazi government to uh, automate um, identification, to automate uh, genocide, to automate slavery. Uh, and so he had to have been privy to some of this uh, information, I think. Um, being in the military, being connected to people, having his ear to the ground. Uh, and also Nazi he was Germany was... He was censoring uh, letters uh, in Paris. That was part of his job. He was uh, was a censor. So <laughs> he sure uh, so, got to know a lot of stuff. <laughs> so he was effectively, uh, you know, the guy from 1984, you know, sitting there at his desk, uh, you know, with the with the magic marker and and, and putting back the, uh, the, the news bit in the vacuum tube, you know, sanitized. Uh, so he, or the he, guy in uh, the main character in the lives of others at the end when he gets put in the the letter department, unsealing people's letters and just boring reading reading people's correspondence for for subversion. Yeah, and this and these were all just you know lower tech versions of of all of these misinformation. Uh, websites that are being run by NGOs and and uh, intelligence agencies that we're seeing today. This is the kind of precursor, the uh, the, the original version in in more contemporary times of all of these uh, forms of censorship and and propagandizing that that we're reading stories about now. Um, so I think having lived through that period and that that place. Uh, he was in a very good position to um, understand what it meant and and what it means for individuals to um, to find that forest passage, that place that finds freedom from all of it and and kind of shakes it off and and uh, but not only reacts to it but but seeks to you know he 
also has a passage about listening to other people who have done the research, who have some knowledge, uh, embracing the, the wisdom of friends, of, of family, of lovers, anyone in your network, in your circle, that's going to um, help lift you uh, from you know, what, what is or what sometimes seems like this incredible behemoth of a, of a control system. Um, so I, I really appreciate that about him as well. In addition to <clears throat> like the, the no on the bridge, he gives one other example of a kind of, um, a kind of resistance. Let me see where to start here. So, um, so this is again, back in this, in the section on elections, so then come the spoiled and empty ballots. So he's talking about the people, um, the people who are counting the votes. Um, and he's envisioning the environment. So, you know, you've got these people in the back room of the voting station. Now they get to, to count the votes. The votes. They, they open up and, they're, and they're, they're going through and they're counting. And, um, well, maybe I'll go back a bit further. So I'll read the whole paragraph because it's good. The committee, the committee we meet here is also in uniform, though perhaps in shirt sleeves, and exudes a spirit of familiar sociability. It is composed of local representatives of the sole ruling power, plus propaganda experts and police. The atmosphere is that of a, shop, uh, that of a shopkeeper counting his take, but not without suspense, since all present in the room are more or less responsible for the results. The yeas and nays are read out, the first with sympathetic, the second with malignant satisfaction. Then come the spoiled and empty ballots. The atmosphere becomes most uncomfortable when the epigram of some joker pops up, certainly a rarity in these days. Humor, together with the rest of freedom's entourage, is absent in tyranny's sphere of influence. Yet the wit is all the more cutting when the joker puts his own head on the line. So I read that just for that last line about humor. And uh, so <laughs> it's a funny, it's a, it's a funny image of the, the vote counters who are these completely humorless beings, um, you know, only concerned about their, um, you know, th their own motives. Um, good for the yeas because they need to meet their vote quota for the, the higher ups and they need a certain amount of nays, but there's still a little bit of, of tension because they need the right amount right? They can't have too many yeas, can't have too few nays. And then all of a sudden they get the spoiled ballot where someone just writes this ripper of a joke. Um, and in that situation, well, they're not going to laugh, but so it, again, it's one of those, um, it's one of those futile, um, acts of resistance where you only get satisfaction out of it for yourself. And maybe the imagined response of pissing off some, you know, some guy in the back room that's actually counting the vote, but the, the, the principle is there, the, the, that last principle, yet the wit is all the more cutting when the Joker puts his own head on the line. And that's the, that's the great thing about, uh, well, th and that's illustrated, for example, in V for Vendetta with just the, you know, the cheesy vaudeville show and where they, they send up the, the chancellor and, it's just a, a silly, a silly little joke, but in the context, of course, I mean, it gets him, uh, you know, it gets the secret police to his door for, for putting on that production. And so humor is this essential thing. It's, it's an essential way of, of bringing down the, 
the clowns that are that are at the top that are in the positions of power and the joke is all the more cutting when you're actually putting yourself on the line and you can see that that's what that's that should be what the like stand up comics that's what a lot of stand up comics today are saying is that you know it's that's our that's our job is to point out these these controversial topics and speak in such of the way speak of them in such a way that uh, you know that that people can laugh and see the ridiculousness of it but at the same time they're putting themselves on the line they could not only be canceled or beat up or um you know conceivably even worse but um but humor is that essential that essential thing when i was yeah when i was when i read that part uh when i read that line uh, what came to me was y'all's discussion on uh, at the Tonic Seven on on that channel, where um, maybe John Carter was uh, talking about the essential nature of humor in in robbing tyranny of its of its bite of its teeth. Yeah, and of its seriousness. Yeah, it's very serious. It's all it's all very serious, and so if you can <laughs> disarm it, um, if you can disarm your fear with humor. And I think that was one kind of like essential, like point wrapped in that one little line that if you can rob not only the tyrant of his teeth, but also uh, death of its sting that you empower yourself just as much as you disempower those, those other things. And so, it, you know, humor is essential and should not be uh, underestimated and i i would love to you know if there's some kind of way of you know having something like that where you can you know scribble on a little like uh an election ballot for like you know you just have you draw a little picture of like joe biden sniffing a kid or something for on a ballot like that would be just hilarious and you know would just it would be really fun, I think, for her, for whoever might be so inclined. <laughs> and and any joke can work. It's like imagine that you're your televised show trial, and um, you know you've just been sentenced to death, you know, execution for treason, and they ask for your final words, and then you just let out like a little fart. It's like <laughs> <laughs> the lowest brow of humor just acquires this, uh, you know, this level of uh, of sub of the sublime <laughs> sublime <laughs> resistance. <laughs> Um, just to show the, the, how ridiculous the whole situation is, but back, I wanted to bring it, I wanted to make a different point. This was something that, um, that you'd brought up, I think Luke. Um, and this was, yeah, about the, what did you say? Something about there will always be, you know, people who will just resist the, the conformity or something. I can't remember how you phrased it, but this reminded me of, of a couple, a couple threads or strands of stuff that I've been thinking about and reading lately. And one of them comes up in, in Lobachevsky's Logocracy, which I've been summarizing on, uh, on my Substack, And it's this idea of like the idea of a log of a logocracy, as opposed to other systems of government is to attempt to make a system of government that accepts the realities of human nature and that accounts for them and works with them as opposed to trying to reshape them or to ignore them um, completely. And so part of this, I would say, I've said this in a different context before, is to take into account 
that there will always be people who will resist being told what to do or what to think simply on principle. And that, of course, you'll get some people like that who will just be psychopaths because they, you know, they're, they're totally antisocial to begin with, but there's this weird dichotomy that it's also the people who are the most developed and who are the most free thinking and the most, let's, let's say, advanced, you know, spiritually or mentally or whatever, or emotionally, that it just, it rubs them the wrong way, even if they agree with it. So this was in the context of something you'd said about Younger, how he ne didn't fit into any box. And so he, um, you know, he, he, yeah, he with wasn't- Yeah, the denazification thing, right? Right. Right. So he wasn't a fascist, but when it's like denazification, it's like, oh, and now you, now you want to, you know, tell me, tell me what to think and make sure I have the right thoughts. Well, no, screw you. Um, you know, exactly, I'm not yeah. a Nazi, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to prove it to you. I'm not going to, you know, you know, bend over for you. And he and wasn't so, a party member, I think. So, right. yeah. <laughs> right. So there's this, there's this kind of person. So it's very easy. And I think a lot of people get even, a lot of even, um, you know, non- a lot of people who wouldn't ordinarily be totalitarians who will get caught up in this authoritarian type of thinking. It's like, well, if only we just forced everyone to agree, to agree, um, you know, for the greater good, if we just, you know, we, we need unity. So we just, we have to kind of push people a little bit um, to, to get that, you know, that full conformity. And, um, you know, as long as it's good, as long as, as long as the, the government actually fulfills its, its role and just, you know, just requires that no one disagree with them. Well, that's, you know, that's okay. Well, it's like, no, that, that, that even if there are, even if you can imagine, and even if there would be positive outcomes from that, there's something fundamentally anti-human about it because you are, you are automatically cutting off and, and, um, well, you're automatically cutting out that segment of the population, which is the, the, the youngers of the world, who are probably some of the most, um, I wouldn't necessarily say intelligent, but the most Im like important and talented. And and you're cutting them out of the, of the, of the process because you're, you're forcing them to do something that even if they would agree with your policies, that, that's fundamentally against their nature. So you're going to create a critic out of them. And if you create a critic out of them, you're not going to get their support and they're not going to, they're not going to back you um, with a hundred percent of their being, they're not going to to be there to, to to offer their support. You're pushing them into a corner. So any government that that um, that for whatever reason, like um, for whatever reason, an, uh, antagonizes that segment of the population, they're doing something fundamentally wrong. And that is that is where this. And so these are the people that would basically follow the the forest passage, they'd, they'd take a walk in the forest and that relates. So I, th that was something else I wanted to point out from the summary. So this is the, a part of the book that I haven't read yet, but he, it's the, the point he makes about, um, even the churches can only lend a hand here since man stands alone in his choices. The theologian may be able to make his situation clear to him, but cannot deliver him from it. The forest rebel crosses the null meridian under his own power. So this is a very d like Dabrowskian view of of the of the individual and so Dabrowski well I've I haven't read Dabrowski in a while so all the terminology is isn't at the forefront of my mind but basically the there's the the third factor so you know the, the anti-conformist anti you know socialization there's the th basically thinking for yourself and making choices for oneself being authentic to oneself um 
and it's also maladjustments. Yeah, that was the word. So you've got adjustment and maladjustment, but you've also got positive and negative versions of each. And so um, one of the points that Dabrowski makes about um, like people at high levels, people at high developmental levels, is that they they will reject any kind of externally imposed or in, extrinsically imposed um, like moral value or something. It's like, and, and it is that just that, that rebelliousness. It's like, no, you, just because you're telling it to me and just because I agree with you, you know, I, I'm offended that, that you're trying to force it on me. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to accept it just because you, te you tell me to, if I'm going to accept it, it's going to be, it's going to be my choice. I'm going to come to it authentically from my own, you know, I'm, I'm going to freely choose choose to accept this ideal or not. And the fact that you are trying to force me to do it is a sign that you don't get that. And uh, so that, that just makes me not trust you even further. Even if you're saying all the right things, I cannot trust you if you're trying to, to coerce me into agreeing with you. And so it, it's a very, yeah, I just, I just found that to be a very Dabrowskian point. It's like you, you were leaving the crowd, leaving the herd, the 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 herd mentality to come to to make to to fully make one's choices and to establish one's one's character and one's um, convictions on one own on one's own without um, without the coercion of even even a well intentioned nanny state it's like no there are no nanny states for the for the like the individual in this perspective yeah and, and what what seems to you know rile the as you put it the the youngest of the world up like especially or like even it, that maybe the, it's the main point is not so much um obedience or the demand of an authority to obey right i mean i mean Jünger was a soldier right i mean it's like um it, it's not necessarily that uh uh but it's first and foremost the uh the 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 power if the state uses the power to force you to think a certain way or to accept certain thoughts or to like um, reiterate certain thoughts like this being put to the question kind of thing right that that's uh, what people that are like non-conformists or like think for themselves what just drives them nuts right i mean you can uh, obey even if you don't really agree with something you can you know you can always obey authority out of like utilitarian reasons or like you know because you understand that sometimes you just got to shut up and obey you know it's part of life uh but uh yeah where it crosses the lines really when when you, when they try to control your thoughts and and we can see that playing out today as well right i, I mean this whole um mass uh, uh awakening kind of thing or like um contrarianism we're seeing today it's not it's not necessarily because people don't want to do this or do that but it's because of this like insufferable you know nanny uh you need to think a certain way otherwise you are bad you know kind of thing and that's yeah i think that was a good point actually there was uh so to backtrack just a little bit um, another interesting thing that I that I found about you know the way he was describing um, like totalitarian systems and the developments of it, he uses the word 
uh, automism or automatism, um, and you know, essentially referring to the functionaries of these kinds of things as automatons, uh, which you know, going back to what we discussed earlier about maybe his you know semi familiarity with Gurdjieff. Um, you know, Gurdjieff uses similar language for, for people who haven't developed themselves at all. They, he, they are just mechanical reaction machines. They are automatons. And, and so I found that really an apt description for the, the, the types of people who, you know, are the functionaries of whatever totalitarian system who, you know, put people to the question or hand out, uh, the, the ballots and then count the ballots. They, they aren't, you know, well-developed or highly developed beings in themselves. They are just, you know, caught up in the moment uh, of the time stream as it is at that, you know, particular point where, you know, they cannot see beyond or outside. They are just, you know, basically robots and should be regarded as such in, in certain ways. Um, so you want to, well, th this passage speaks uh, to that pretty directly, and um, that was in what you spoke of. Uh, he writes, however, these same men are not just fearful, they are also fearsome. The sentiment changes from fear to open hate the moment they notice a weakening in those they feared only a moment before. It is not only in Europe that one comes across such congregations. Where the automatism increases to the point of approaching perfection, such as in America, the panic is even further intensified. There it finds its best feeding grounds, and it is propagated through networks that operate at the speed of light. The need to hear the news several times a day is already a sign of fear. The imagination grows and paralyzes itself in a rising vortex. The myriad antenna rising above our megacities resemble hairs standing on end. They provoke demonic contacts. And, and that's where the, what you were mentioning before, Adam, about this, this sense that there is something almost demonic that he evokes in his language um, in, in the propagation of, of fear, of making people terrified of uh, what is occurring. And... Uh, this is something that we're, you know, watching uh, on a daily basis unfold in the U.S. Cable news is is covering the the mass shootings and the derailments and the uh, and the various um, destructions uh, that are occurring uh, mainly in the U.S. Or, or so it seems to me right now, and it is all in effect an effort to keep people. Uh, scared shitless and glued to the authoritarian messaging that would seek to corral them into a certain way of thinking and feeling. And that can be, that can be in one of two ways. It can be either in, uh, in causing someone to seek out authority even more in the, in the hopes of feeling, you know, safe and secure, the government's doing something about this, or it can be among, uh, a certain percentage of the population, a reaction, uh, knowing full well that um, that a lot of these uh, events and and uh, developments are to some great degree manufactured and and designed to keep us 
uh, terrified and and um, and so that that in itself uh, can be something that people fall prey to in in their in their reactions in their uh, anger and their hatred and so I think <clears throat> I think younger is speaking of that as a as something to watch out for as well that we don't um, we don't you know if we can see what's going on we don't want to be reactive to it uh, in a way yeah. that's going to necessarily get us in trouble and part of the fear um, or how to battle the fear is also I think it might be later in the book but uh, he gives the example of uh, that uh, we are living under the illusion that the tyrant basically protects us right and and it starts um, even with basic things like protection from like a robbery in in your apartment or in your house and uh, and he says that uh, basically like it's kind of funny um like the, the 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 basic defense line is the father and the son with an axe in their hand you know in the front door or something like that. <laughs> so that, that's basically like the um uh, that's the the reality of it right and and the the state and the tyrant they're building this like whole system around it where you you're under the illusion that this is not that this is not the reality the reality is that the police or whatever will always like protect you right and and i found that interesting because it doesn't necessarily like um argue for like wielding axes uh, you know in, in your front door necessarily but it's like a it's a thought experiment where you um that can help you get over your fear right if you if you accept that this is the basic reality right you and then axe and uh and if you kind of accept that image and and maybe even draw some conclusions right maybe you want to be in shape and maybe who knows maybe you even want to have an axe somewhere in the house <laughs> um but uh, it's like uh it's 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 just this cultivation of an of a fierce independence of mind and spirit and soul uh, i think that he's he's talking about and that helps us um get out of this fearful state uh, because if we if we think oh my god you know if the state uh, we need the state to protect us in in everything and other, otherwise they're coming for us you know the january 6th protesters will get me and <laughs> uh, you know and whatever it's uh, is the, the the scare story of the day um uh, and it's a way to yeah To, to to distance yourself from from this overwhelming like abusive relationship almost you know with the with a tyrant and he also you know there's a passage about about being armed to the teeth and uh and being prepared in in such a way Uh, so as to meet force with force and how, you know, the danger in that is that you can actually attract those types of events to you being so identified with responding in such a, uh, or being prepared to respond in such a, a violent and, and physical manner. And this gets back to, um, the points that, that you, you guys made repeatedly earlier about Uh, younger being so difficult to pin down because it's not only ideologically 
it's sort of as though he's saying, you know, you 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 know you you do want to you do want to find the forest passage and and rebel, but think about it, you know, think about it in terms of limitations as well. And, and you do want to be prepared to do what you need to do, but think about how that may be so far in reaction to uh, what you fear that that's going to, that's going to attract certain negative events to your life. So he's, he's really quite nuanced about it. He's, he's constantly bringing you to the edge of the the circle, the, the end of the spectrum of, um, of reaction and response and saying, well, th this is where you may want to consider the fact that taking it too far or too little in either direction is, is not going to be constructive. And, um, it, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of like a, a balancing act he's trying to impart on us in the way that we think about um, how we want to respond and how we want to think about those things that we're facing. So very nu nuanced in many cases here. And, um, and I appreciate that a lot. It's, it's, you know, far too often, you know, especially in alternative media, we're, we're getting, uh, you know, advice and insights and suggestions that, that take things, um, uh, perhaps too far in, in, in some direction. And uh, it just gets back to, you know, what you mentioned earlier, Adam, th this middle way or the fourth way, uh, this, uh, this way of staying on the Titanic and not being sunk with the Titanic, uh, not letting yourself, you know, jump into the ocean of, of chaos, even though there's going to be a certain amount of chaos on the boat, it, should you decide to remain. Um, so he's, uh, he's really, um, you know, at, at all points looking for literally a, a middle way uh, that we can find, a, a moderate way, but that is nonetheless decisive and, um, and forwarding uh, in whatever situation we, we find ourselves in. Well, Luke, do you have any, uh, any final thoughts? Maybe we'll return to this return to to the book once we've all finished it and we can cover more of the ideas in the second half but did you have anything to kind of wrap <clears> up with uh no except uh to recommend it uh it's as you guys said it's a very short book and from the quotes you read i can tell that the translation is seems to be pretty good as well because uh one thing is really like his his uh german is just very beautiful so it's it's a very poetic uh, language, but still very clear, um, but also gives you this kind of, um, yeah, this, uh, this almost ambiguity at times, uh, uh, that speaks to the nature of the thing, right? That it's not black and white and that it's not really, um, it, it, it's, it's not just an essay about polit politics or like political philosophies, also poetry in a sense, right? So, but from what I can tell, the translation um, is, is very good. So yeah, get, get the book. It's really very, um, uh, very relevant to our times. And also, from what I understand, is that um, it, Jünger's thought gets, as I said in the beginning, gets a lot of traction. And and just even as um, if to to stay on top of that and to just have your ear, you know, a little bit on the 
on the ground, what what is brewing in the culture, you know, in the alternative culture. And I think also from that perspective, it's it's interesting to read him because he has kind of a, a bit of a renaissance. Uh, yeah. And uh, see you in the forest. <laughs>